Welcome to Get Behind Fanny, a podcast dedicated to the behind-the-scenes stories of the music, the members, and the musicians influenced by the rock group Fanny, the godmothers of women who rock. And yes, I do play air drums every time I hear that. (laughs) (laughs) And I play Nikki's piano. (laughs) Hey, and welcome fellow rockers to the Get Behind Fanny podcast, where we're going to dive headfirst into the world of 70s rock group Fanny. I am your host, Byron Wilkins, and joining me on these audio ventures is none other than drummer Alice DeBure and the daughter of Fanny manager Roy Silver, Dr. Kristen Hilaire-Glasgow. Hello, ladies. Hello, hey, Byron. Byron. Hi, Alice. Byron, we are so happy that you are your surgery was successful and you're back and healthy, and it's just great to hear you. And a shout out to everybody on social media who wished me well. Thank you very much for all that. Yeah. Well, I am so excited about this episode because we're going to be looking at probably your most popular footage. It's Fanny on the Beat Club. And if everybody listened Mm -hmm. to episode six, we focused on the French footage. So the Beat Club seemed a natural progression. And the two songs that we're going to focus on here for this episode are Blind Alley and Ain't That Peculiar. So Byron, why don't you set the stage with a sample of Blind Alley? And you know, it's so interesting when I was in graduate school and researching the history of Fanny, I was so surprised at how many scholars, uh, historians and feminists misinterpreted the first verse of Blind Alley. They saw it Hmm. as an absolute feminist declaration. And I remember at first saying that's absolutely not true at all. And then I questioned myself and realized, no, I was right Hmm. the first time. And but Alice, how did you see it? Well, when we put it together, um, it was just a rock and roll song. It was not a feminist declaration at all. Mm-hmm. And you, Kristen, you told me that you had talked to June and Jean about it and what they had to say. And I really liked what they both had to say. Yeah. Byron, can we listen to that? Well, it could be interpreted as a feminist verse on Blind Alley. But actually, all we were interested in was was playing the heck out of rock and roll and just doing the best job we could we didn't we were not focusing on the um issues feminists or or whatever at that time we were just focused on being accepted as the musicians that we were that was all the intention on blind alley although we didn't know about the feminist movement per se and then that didn't last long i mean within a couple of years of course we knew but doing it was the thing for us there was no name for it but we were definitely doing it 
And Alice, I actually meant to ask June and Jean this, so I'll ask you in particular. How is it possible that you, as an all-female rock and roll band, didn't know about the feminist movement? Well, we were... I don't want to use the word cloistered, but it's almost like that. Um, Fanny Hill, it was rehearsal from morning till night or touring or recording. And we didn't get the paper. We didn't have a television. Um, And I I know that we got like the Sunday L.A. Times, but that was probably for the comics and the uh, crossword (laughs) puzzle, you know. But uh, we were so busy just trying to get our sound together, you know, we were laser focused on just being the best that we could be. You have to you have to admit, you know, we really, really were a tight band and, oh, yeah. the, you know, the hours and hours of rehearsal and as boring as they were sometimes, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, we'd play some songs and then go have a cup of tea or, you know, I'd go out and have a cigarette or whatever. But that was we were a tight band. We I really admit, were. I will yeah. admit you were a tight band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, June's in June's words. We had learned how to play together. Yeah. It's that we knew how to play together. I mean, we we filled each other's spaces and we allowed each other to express the thing as we're going from section to section. And that's that's an indefinable, but it's really, really important. It's important. It also shows how you trusted each other as a band and as musicians. Yeah, it came from all those hours of playing in clubs, you know, till five in the morning. And really, you know, to be truthful, I never thought about the lyrics even because we were so busy playing the track. Exactly. So I wasn't even focused yeah. on what the lyrics were about. I mean, I just knew Nikki was a, a great songwriter, so I didn't worry about what the lyrics were about. I didn't even notice, really. Which is kind of ironic. The voice was in my guitar. Yeah, I love the way she put that. The voice really was in her guitar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Let's hear the rest of the song.
you know, to me, it's a mm-hmm. pretty pretty good impersonation of Keith Moon. <laughs> I think oh. so, too. <laughs> I also love how you all talk to each other and make noises as you're singing. I love yeah. that. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. That was mostly yeah. Nikki. Well, I Nikki, love it. Nikki, she was always throwing in ad libs, you know. <laughs> yeah. Think about what you're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. You were much more sober than uh, Keith, though. <laughs> <laughs> and a perfect example of uh, what June's talking about, part of her guitar, is in the um, Christian Brothers part there where the song slows down a little bit, In particularly in the live version. She is wailing. I mean, she's yeah. just taking it to the feedback level, and that's what she's talking about and all that. And uh, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, and I and you did capture that somewhat on, on record uh, in the recording the studio version of it. But the other thing I really love about the B club version is that you get to see what a keyboardist Nikki was. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you know, she had to slide over from that Christian brother thing where she's doing an organ solo and she slides over from her organ to the piano and hits the verse without missing a beat. I mean, obviously yeah. you practice, but you know, you could trip on the damn bench you know? <laughs> you know, and all that. And at the end of the song there where she, she lets go on some, you know, she's just a damn good keyboardist and people, uh, you know, because she plays rhythm so much, she doesn't really uh, on record stand out that much sometimes, but she kind of cut loose on a solo there. And it was, I, yeah, I have to disagree yeah. with you, Byron. I'm sorry. Sure. I think that Nikki, um, I, when I listen back to the Fanny stuff, I hear mm-hmm. Nikki's keyboard. You know, sometimes it's buried a little bit, but when mm-hmm. it's not buried, she kicks ass on just about every single song. You oh, know, yeah. so I, don't mean, I didn't mean it to to, to, to uh, disparage the recordings of it. Yeah, uh, I just meant in this live version, she she really cuts loose. Oh yeah, I don't think she cuts loose as much on on the record you know what you know you could say that about june that her you know you guys were reeled in a little bit in the studio and that's no that's just that's the way you were recording that's no not blaming anything uh you know all of you you know you but when you were live like that you you honed it and you and you you were able to actually beat and that's why you're so good fucking good live is <laughs> because you you were allowed to cut loose yeah you know you weren't being throttled back yeah. I mean, Alice, you're drumming on this. I mean, I, I happen to know, having interviewed you for years now, that <laughs> Nikki um, gave you a specific direction on this song, which was to play like a freight train. And in an interview I did with you over a decade ago, you added in that she said, play like Keith Moon falling down a flight of stairs. <laughs> and, yeah. and I boy the freight train watching you play. It's, you can see it. Yeah. Well, Nikki, um, she loved the who. I was not a fan. I thought Keith Moon was all over the place. It wasn't until years later that I was able to appreciate what a great drummer he was for that band. Again, being a trio, the drummer does generally play more. But she gave me a very specific request, which was, Alice, I want you to sound like a freight train and maybe Keith Moon is driving the freight train. I don't know. <laughs> you know. But when I look at the Beat Club footage, what I'm playing through the whole song is what I recorded on the third verse. And um, I re- the, the recording, it's very tame. The first verse, the second verse is maybe a little bit more. But when we played it live, um, I just, I, I let loose all the time. And I loved talking to June and Jean about their playing and their instrumentation on this song. So Byron, let's hear what they had to say. I approach the song as giving a, the fiercest, biggest, baddest, fattest sound I could come up with. 
And that was my goal. I wasn't really actually thinking about the words at all. I was thinking about the track. And uh, Jean, you may not remember this, but I found a letter that I wrote to my mom when we were on the last nights of, of uh, mixing. And uh, for some reason, we had to work on Blind Alley and Richard was so slow, we were wandering around in the studio. This is in LA and we found this guy who was doing a mix and it was great. So we rushed over to Richard and we said, can we mix a song with this guy down the hall? And he was so pressed for time. He said, yes. And the thing is that allowed me to ride my guitar volumes. So when, when it does that, you know, I talked in the last episode about that sweet spot where you have that kind of feedback, which you can start and then you can move back and it recedes. Well, I did that and I was able to bring them up at, at the uh, appropriate places. And that's one of the reasons why you can feel my guitar track so well. I don't remember that at all. You know, exactly. that's wonderful. That yeah, yeah. because Richard tended to rein us in. He wanted he wanted to make sure it wasn't overwhelming the sound in his mind for how he thought we mm. should be recorded. And I love what Gene had to say there about Richard reining all of you in in yeah. terms of when you were being yeah. recorded, but how different it was when you were live. I mean, you hear that on Blind Alley just phenomenally so. And we're going to transition now to Ain't That Peculiar. And that's another example of where Fanny just lets loose. I'm so excited about this. It's one of my favorites. Me too. We just heard that the intro that we heard was from the beat club and in a minute we're going to play the recorded version that does have bobby hall on it but i just wanted to reiterate that the beat club uh the expertise of those guys um i mean it, it was so professional you know the energy on the french footage might have been better but the sound on the beat club wins that hands hands down you know but let's hear the um album version of the intro with Bobby Hall's percussion, okay? Bobby, Bobby yeah. Hall, definitely. I, she was amazing. And that's some pretty classy percussion work. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I didn't know that Bobby Hall played on the original with Marvin Gaye and then played on the Fanny song version I of it. I didn't either. I, I just learned and that from Jim. Yeah. And she's not even on credit on the album, the, no. the liner notes or anything like that. Yeah. Wow. Right. Wow. Well, when I spoke to June and Jean this week, their stories on Bobby Hall were incredible. So let's listen to that. A lot of people don't know that that's, for the most part, Ms. Bobby Hall on percussion. And she played on the original with uh, Marvin Gaye. So uh, Alice played the intro 
And then I remember uh, Bobby Hall came to a studio in Los Angeles and did those overdubs. And I was so shy, I barely said hello to her, but I met her much later. And she played with us in, uh, at IMA West uh, on uh, a number of cuts. And she really, she's the one who ripped, who ripped the percussion on that song. So I think it's so cool that she played on the original and she played on our version. Uh, one of the things I loved was I think her bongos were pink or her congas were pink. And I thought, man, that is some class act, man. And she played the heck out of them. You know, you don't just play like that. In fact, she learned how to play along with the Stevie Wonder at Motown. They were both kids. They were hanging out, trying to rub off, get some, some stardust from the stars. And they both learned drums and percussion at Motown um, wow. when they were like 12, 13. Fantastic. See, this is the kind of stuff that you get when you just hang out and talk to people, you know. And I remember one other story, you know, the beginning of Baby Love, you know, the down, down, yeah. down on yeah, the piano. Yeah. We heard Bobby said it was, she stood on top of a piano and tapped piano that top. Sound. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they recorded her playing that's the sound on has her on a piano. It was pretty fantastic sounding. Well, she had tap it. shoes. She loved her tap shoes, so she wore them to the studio. And she wore, uh, she, that's taps on a piano top that was taken off and put on the floor. And I said, boy, how did that piano top do? And she said, well, they could, they could buy a thousand pianos after that song came on. You know, it's such a hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, look at how different the, the sound is. When Jeannie was talking about how Richard reined us in, this is reined in. And what oh, we, yeah. the, yeah. Intro, the intro we played before... That we are, I mean, we're kicking ass, and it's the three of us being the percussion section, you know? Yeah, yeah. as amazing as Bobby Hall was, you know, the the sound on the beat club is, yeah, pretty good. It's awesome, and, I, and I'm giggling because, I, Alice, you know the story, but I need to share it. Yeah. And it, you probably had to be there, but as I said, I've <laughs> known you since I was three. Yep. This is one of my favorite songs. And so I just always assumed I would be the fifth fanny. I would go on tour with you. So I, started, <laughs> I started practicing very young, and since I didn't see the beat club, I was only at the French footage filming, Yeah. I would listen to the recording, and I did not know that there were many of you playing in <laughs> drums. I thought it was all you, Alice. And I tried to learn. I tried. And I would cry. I would I would think, oh, my God, they're not going to take me on tour with them. And I would sit there and, and try different methods. And it clearly didn't work. Uh, Kristen, <laughs> poor dear. I, w I would have had to have eight arms, dear. <laughs> and Kristen, I know that you talked to June and Jean, too. So, Byron, why don't we listen? I mean, I remember yeah. that we were totally into the song. And so the whole intro, you know, the percussion and all that, and you know, coming in with that slide guitar that just knocks you out, it's just unbelievable, you know, and we just were into it too, you know. And so yeah. the vocal that June did on the song, I thought suited how we were playing it. And again, just when she came up to Gee, that sounds so, pretty good. <laughs> I guess the only word that comes uh, up with what we were said, she just fierce how she plays this light guitar. So that's wonderful. I'm sure we did the original at some point, uh, whether before we got to LA or after when we started to play a couple of clubs just to make the rent money, to tell you the truth. So we already knew the song. We knew Motown. We knew how that was built. But I'm sure that it was because Lowell George turned me on to playing slide and a couple of other guys taught me about control, about how you control 
the bunch of notes that you're choosing, which means that you actually, while you're playing, you have to mute the other strings that you aren't playing. That is actually the first secret of playing slide. And it's hard. You have to sit there and you have to really, really practice on your concentration and your aim, quite frankly. Once I got that, then I could start experimenting with how to, to actually express myself. I do know that by the time we got to performing the song, we were all really tight. We knew our new arrangement. I can't say that we ever talked about it. We had to have, but, you know, it's, it's almost like we were, you know, because we would rehearse and we would kind of just plug around, you know, we would try this, we would try that, we would jam on this. A lot of our rehearsals were jamming until we came up with something. So we must have come up with, oh, let's do that. Let's do it faster. Let's, maybe I can play a slide and then blah, 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 blah. And then you have us doing the performance and, and having total control and total confidence. I mean, that's the thing. Once we decided we were doing a song and we jammed on it for hours and hours and hours and honed it, you know, we sculpted out the turnarounds, the intro, the everything. It was a work of art. Her slide guitar is, I mean, she really is um, amazing. That slide guitar and that song it's magic. is a killer. Yep. Yeah, it really is. And and I love yeah. June's vocals on this is on the song as well. And I spoke to her about mm -hmm. this, and I loved the way she described her vocals. When I hear myself singing, I really hear the yearning behind the vocal. And that's the part that I appreciate. It really does come through, you know. You do me wrong. <laughs> so we, we just happened to hit on it. And, you know, uh, uh, Skunk Baxter, for example, when he was introducing us at, at the NAM, which was the one that Jean missed because she just had her stroke. But he raved about that. And I just can't believe that people still talk about it like that. But they do. Every single person who finds Ain't That Peculiar just raves. And, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it.
start the big lighters, so, man. <laughs> so hot. And, you know, I believe that if on the footage that June is using one of her homemade slides oh, yeah. that, from, from the Matus bottle that Bonnie Raitt taught her how to make, and which we discussed in episode four. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Just so cool to see it now, know how she did it. And for those who, if you haven't already seen the actual Beat Club footage, it's about 36 minutes on, on YouTube definitely check it out it's also amazing and uh, so cool to think that all of you were about 23 years old yeah yeah you know it's incredible so check out the footage if you haven't seen it already yeah all three million views (laughs) wow yeah Yeah. a little under but yes it's incredible isn't it yeah i think i might have been a hundred thousand of those views i don't know (laughs) well i think we've all watched it a couple of times but yeah you know that's the song that get has had the most comments on youtube And I try to remember to go back into each one of the different songs and comment and respond to as many as I can. I don't respond to negative uh, comments generally, or I'll say, oh, you're entitled to your opinion and leave it at that, you know, (laughs) but, uh, which is Alice for screw you. (laughs) Exactly. Kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and Gene and June are really happy about all the replies and the response. I mean, they just couldn't believe it. Cool. Yeah, I'm just stunned that the, that many hits, 2.8 million. I mean, when June told me before it had gone past 1 million, I thought, wow. Okay, and now it's past 2 million, almost 3. It's just stunning to me. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. wonderful, you know. So I'm glad that people are so appreciating how we played and what we did. When you take apart each part in each section it's so well played and we are making room for each other and we are trusting like when nikki does a you know that's of course harking back to the original uh parts in the song but it's so well played and it's it's like clockwork you know i'm i'm amazed that it's almost as if we're just ah that here here are the parts yeah that's that's cool you know that's we're just kind of doing it, you know, but we had spent so much time, I am so sure, jamming and getting to the place where we didn't even think about what the other person was playing. We're not worried about, oh, are they going to play it right or whatever? It's just a, a, an easy, you know, that, that performance that people are seeing uh, on B-Club, honestly, that was just another day at the office for us. It wasn't <laughs> particularly, you know, amazing. We just did our thing. And that I am so impressed with. Just another day at the office. Um, ain't that peculiar? Wow. <laughs> just another day at the office, June. Just it another makes, day at the office. It makes it sound so like just another day at the office. Well, you know, I don't know about that. That song was pretty rocking. It was yeah. pretty rocking. But, but I mean, the thing that people need to understand is really, truly how much you guys rehearsed and practiced. Oh, yeah. I mean, this did not come. Yes, it came naturally. You're all talented. But this was a lot of hard work. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah, I want to yeah. know what's in the water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Typhoon tea, probably, Byron. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is this is the one. Um, I think when we were working on "Ain't That Peculiar," and and uh, if you don't mind me throwing this in here, um, June said to me, "You know, I want you to sound like a percussion section." I said, "June, I have two arms. I'm a drummer. I can't be a percussion section. You know, if you want a percussion section, hire one." I was so pissed, but anyway. And I wish I had known that conversation. Yes. <laughs> it would have saved you a lot of anguish, wouldn't it? A lot of tears, yeah. a lot of tears. Well, the trip today feels uh, more like a trek than a trip. 
<laughs> or a freight train? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Byron, you want to give us a social media here? You bet. And let's see here. On Twitter, you can find us at rocks underscore fanny. On the Instagram, as we old folks say, the Instagram uh, at Fanny Rocks <laughs> underscore 1970. Uh, you know, anyway, and then on Facebook, <laughs> Facebook at Fanny Rock Band, on YouTube, just Fanny Rocks, and drop by the official website at fannyrocks.com. Use hashtags Ask Alice, June Jams, Jean Genie, and Nikki Notes to ask questions on any of the social media platforms, and we'll bring them up here at the, at the, at the podcast. Absolutely. And I, just to give everybody a little tease of what we're going to be talking about for the next episode, we're going to be discussing two songs off of Fanny's fourth album, Mother's Pride, which was the first and only album produced other than Richard Perry. This was produced by Todd Rundgren. Right. And we're thinking about talking about Summer Song and I Need You Need Me. So let us know if you have any questions ahead of time. We'll definitely include them in the podcast. And we're going to dedicate it to at least one of your Fanny fans, Cynthia, who loves I Need You Need Me so much that she plays it at the top at full volume at the annoyance of her neighbors. So Byron, let's play this for Cynthia. You got it. I'll give you one so, thing. Hmm. That is, a, I, I love that song. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know if it's a recording studio or Todd or the engineer or whatever, but the bottom end on that song yep. is phenomenal. On the right set of headphones cranked up, oh, yeah. man, it is just moving so much air. It's like, wow. You, know, you uh, really do have to listen to it at full volume. Oh, you do. Yeah, yeah right. definitely. Well, I can't wait to talk about this. Well, we will talk about it next time. But for today, <laughs> that's a wrap. Byron, hit it. see if we can do it for k- right. shits and giggles all right <laughs> for okay. shits and giggles all right <laughs> <laughs>